You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. It's funny, I've been teaching now for about 14 years. And over those years, I have taught students about hundreds of different artists. But the one artist that I would say has probably gotten the biggest reaction, I've gotten the most visible response from the students and even emails from parents about how cool their child thought the artist was and how they just had to look them up, was an artist that most of you probably have never heard of. A contemporary artist and illustrator based out of Chicago by the name of Joe Mills. I feel like who art ed? Who art is Mr. Wood art ed me? Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts and audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me once again today, I've got Chuck Hoff uh, from Mill Street. Thanks for joining yes. me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I, I dragged you back in here for this one because we're talking about Joe Mills, an artist that both of us actually worked with um, years back. So I thought you would be the perfect guest to discuss him and his work. Oh, yes. Uh, we worked together for uh, a full year, uh, and he worked at Mill Street, and uh, we, sem- we tend to be a lab or a, uh, a place where people gather, because we're at, the, at one time, we're almost close to a thousand students, and so we get the extra teacher, if you will. Yeah, and I, I just, my, my memory of that time, like, I just remember Joe actually took over like some of that that itinerant like taking some of the classes um because it was like too much like your your art position is like one and a half art teachers you know um so like so he took over um he took over part of that and i just remember that was like right after we did um our pilot with like using um technology in the classroom and I remember, like, I remember I was so struck with the stuff that he was doing in the classroom and his, his personal work. And, and I was like, we got to get this guy in on the next round of, like, you know, the, the tech stuff that we're doing. He needs to be the, the one to do it. And you're just like, no, he's not going to stick around with us. <laughs> no, I know. And that, that was it was a little bit heartbreaking because you. You know, I've seen many of our uh, teachers, like I said before, had come through 
um, mill as part-timers only to land the job or they were doing, um, you know, half a day because they're coming from a different building. So um, I've probably seen close to 10 to 15 teachers come through um, Mill Street. And so when you see someone like Joe and he has this um, something to offer in the outside world, this professional world um, that he has carved for himself, then you get really excited because then you know he's going to add to the entire staff. Yeah. And, and he does, he does great work. And so like to get back to a little bit of his background, cause he's been doing a lot of stuff outside of like, we knew him as a, a teacher, but he's been doing a number of different avenues in the art world. So he, so he was born in uh, 1976 in Louisville, Kentucky, which I, when I've looked at his work, I was surprised to see he's actually from Kentucky. Um, and we'll get more into that and why it's a little bit surprising later on. But, you know, he studied art. He st- actually studied industrial design at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And right off the bat, it's like industrial design. Because I know him and his work as a fine artist. But looking at his work, that industrial design background makes perfect sense. And so I think it's worth taking a little time to, to talk about and discuss like what is industrial art and what is industrial design. Um, it is an applied art and industrial designers are the, the people who design things for manufacture. You know, they, they're designing functional objects very often. They have to think about not just the aesthetics, how it looks, they have to think about how is it going to function? Um, Whenever I think about industrial design, just like when I think about architecture, my go-to reference point is always the Bauhaus. You know, I think about like Mies van der Rohe and Walter Gropius and like those, those big philosophies where they were talking about form follows function is like the central message there. And, you know, for those not familiar, form follows function is the modern principle that the form or, you know, the, the shape that something, th- something takes on, the design of it, should follow or be based on how it's used, its function. And it, it seems like a simple idea, like a chair is something you sit on, so it should be designed to be comfortable. But a lot of artists get focused on what we call the ornamentation, the decoration of it. You know, we want it to look pretty, and to a certain extent, like, like, I, I remember looking at a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright's furniture in his houses, and it's like, man, those chairs, it's all right angles, and it looks beautiful and elegant in these clean lines. But I don't want to sit in that, <laughs> you know? But his background, like I said, was industrial design, so that's the mindset that he had. And the first job that he had out of college, he said he was, he was uh, designing toys, And so when you're designing toys, you have to think about what's going to be eye-catching, what's going to be visually appealing, but you also have to think about, like, how is it going to function and how is it going to be manufactured? Because that's all of those different processes. It's a little bit art. It's a little bit engineering. Um, It all has to come together and work in one unified design. And then he said the biggest sort of turning point in his artistic development came when he actually left the U.S. He went down to Sydney, Australia in 2010 um, because his wife got a a job opportunity there. And just I want to point out what a cool guy Joe is. He 
moved halfway around the world because his wife got a good job opportunity. You know? Yeah. That's a that's that's a pretty pretty good progressive dude like willing to to go along uh to support her in her career and her development. And he said while he was in Australia, he got homesick as one does. He missed Chicago and he was he started to focus a lot of his work on Chicago in that process. Um, he talks about one of his first sort of points of inspiration was E-Boy and the, the landscapes that, and cityscapes done by E-Boy. And he wanted to do something in a similar style. And so Joe will still say like his ultimate Chicago um, drawing is like his one of his favorites because that's where he was developing that craft, that illustration quality that has there's just so much going on, so much layering, so much depth to it. But he really staked his name in his Chicago-themed work. He's done a lot of other stuff. He's not only like selling his original designs, but he also takes commissions. He's been commissioned by all sorts of people, from WBEZ to, um, you know, the the Nestle company doing murals and stuff like that i love his factory work and again like the the designs that he's done of these sort of fantasy factories whether it is like the imaginative ice cream factory or the like imaginative like i've seen him doing stuff with like hip-hop lyrics and like the the lyrical factories and stuff um behind that i i I love his visualization of text and and images, but his Chicago work is really what he is best known for. Like his work, so much of his body of work is just showing his love for the city and the cultural icons of Chicago, his adopted homeland. Yeah, and and, and it's funny that you, I like how uh, we're segueing, you know, slowly to what he's become. You know, and, and he has tapped, basically taking what he was, you know, like what he declared originally, form equals function, and, and just taking his passion. So if you, if you look at it, Joe is very passionate, and he, um, he, he took a deep dive into the city of Chicago. You know, it isn't just, you know, a real quick touch, but rather an appreciation for what's going on uh, in this urban center you know, and, and how people are expressing themselves. Well, there's there's always a depth to what he's doing where I always see, like, he he's cramming in more symbols, more layers of meaning, more to everything that he's doing. He Like, um, a, a lot of his work, he's known for those calligrams, the, you using the text to form the image. Again, he's not just taking the roots he is taking words associated with them lyrics and like using those to form the image so that there's like those those multiple layers of meaning in a lot of his work and like i said what he's doing is he's following his passions he's following and making his work based on the pop culture that he loves and enjoys his adopted home city. Like I said, I was surprised to see he's from Kentucky, but then in another sense, it kind of makes sense that he is loving the city he chose to be in instead of just where he happened to be born. You know what I mean? Like you always have that special fondness for the things that you sought out. So I think, you know, one thing that, uh, again, in talking with Joe uh, or in working with him, 
I think I admire the fact that he embraces change. You know, if he went to Australia and he followed his wife and her uh, passion, then came back to Chicago um, and got a part-time job, he always followed his passion and he adapted to change so well. Like I looked at Joe and I'm just like, I was a little bit envious because he knew what he wanted to do and he knew how much time it would take to carve out. Yeah. I think, like I said, I think he was, he was a cool guy. One, uh, it always struck me just how clean his work always was. And, you know, he, he, his process, he's always doing things first by hand and then, you know, using, um, illustrator to do it. And, I, I like he's pointed out before people think like, oh, illustrators doing it. You're, you know, just the computers making the work. And it's like, no, not at all. If you've ever like worked with those programs and spent hours agonizing over like the, the curve of every contour of the line and moving pixels and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. It's not, I wish the computer would do the work. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation, and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Um, but shall we take a, take a moment now to shift to one of his pieces. And I thought with Joe being the industrial designer turned fine artist, specifically focusing on his love of the city of Chicago, I thought the perfect piece was the Chicago factory. Yes. Um, and so like right off the bat, what's jumping out to you about that piece? Oh, I, I think there's no wasted space. It's, it's, you know, um, it's just so efficient and so interesting to look at. Your eyes are constantly flowing through the piece. Um, it, it just, there's so much to look at. And, and it's linear. I mean, for me, it's, it's when, I, when I look, you know, in a, you know, I look up and down. So, so I look, you know, I look and, it, and it's so vertical. It's all stacked with a really nice flavor up at the top, it says Chicago, but then you're gonna go ahead and follow down. You're gonna look at uh, some complementary color use, uh, very selective color, uh, complementary uh, color use on the right side of the painting. Um, it dominates in, in its blue hues, 
tints and shades all throughout with just a little bit of accent colors. Um, so real strong piece. Uh, near the heart of the piece, not sure if it's his emphasis, but there's a fire burning, right? Uh, uh, you know, towards the center of the piece. Yeah, I love the the fire, and then on the side of it, it says O'Leary. Um, for those not familiar with the reference, the Great Chicago Fire, um, the old story was always that the O'Leary's cow knocked over a lantern, and it, it started the fire. Um, you know, he's just loading up this this factory with symbols of the city and, and its history. You know, even in the word Chicago, you know, you've got like the the Bears logo for the C and everything like that. Um, we see the the Uno and the the Chicago style pizza. Um, you know, coming out of the the factory down in the bottom bottom left, we've got you know the the Cubs, um, the Cubs uh, scoreboard with the baseball and the, the hot dogs, and I can only assume that the hot dogs do not have ketchup, and you know all of that sort of stuff. That well, uh, you, and, and you can look. Oh, the ketchup is out of order. Yeah, yeah it's out of order. So it, you, as you do a deep dive, he and this is a thing about his work. He wants to, he wants to make it authentic. And he wants to make sure that he is in tune uh, with, you know, both historians and people who call themselves Chicagoans. So you're going to hit uh, the popular, you know, deep dish pizza that that thing's spitting out over to the left of the painting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but you better not put ketchup on the hot dog um, because you're going to be you're going to be called out on that. If you're going to put a scoreboard together, it better be pre, you know, whatever that was, 2016 to 2015 when they revamped Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the old scoreboard where somebody was in it, you changing out the numbers. Um, he has a passion for music. So you see the Knuckles 2000 on the left. It's a, uh, it's a DJ spinning. Yeah. And so even today, and I, and I hope... I hope people will listen to this and then follow Joe. He is so passionate about the roots, you know, like where did, where did this music get started? I think he just posted yesterday about it. Mm -hmm. So he still puts a little bit of his passion in there along with, um, you know, the 90%, you know, following that people recognize like the midway of the monsters up top. Well, it's one of those pieces that as I look at it, you know, I have my immediate gut reaction looking at like, okay, as an illustration, I feel like this works because it it's a little bit slanted. There's that sense of movement to it. It's like this tower that looks like it's going to sort of topple over potentially, you know, because it. it it doesn't feel entirely stable because of the angles. There's the movement, the action of the things being produced and, and the interaction between the different gears and all of that sort of stuff. But then as I look more closely, I start to see, you know, all of those symbols of things that, that are a part of the culture of the city that he's representing. You know, we've already talked about the, the pizza and the, the fire and the, the sports and the music and, and 
Um, like I, I love the the city that works, and then it's got like the vote is John Smith, John Smith, John Smith. So you know, like the old jokes about the Democratic machine, you know, yes. stuff in ballot boxes, and um, you know the controversies from the past, and all of that different stuff is just it's playfully alluded to so that like if you're aware of and a part of the culture, you get it. But it's also this illustration that even if you weren't aware of it, even if you came from, uh, you know, another time and place, it just works aesthetically. The looks of it also work between the gradient that's going on in the background, the like the color choices, the little pops, the accents. Um, and like I said, it's just got a fun, whimsical, cartoony sort of mechanization that happens, even if you don't understand all the symbols and all of the illusions that he's making. When and, and as you're walking through, it's kind of, you know, symbolic of what's popular through his eyes. You know, what he wants to emphasize, he makes larger and what he wants to uh, keep a little bit more in the background, but still include it, which is the elevated train that we have coming off the number five, where it says the city that works. He still includes it because he knows that it's a big symbol uh, you know, for the city of Chicago, as, as well as the stockyards. Yeah. You know, I think anyone... Uh, like my grandparents living through those times as they lived uh, at 63rd Street, they're closer to the city. They remember driving by the stockyards and that they were closer to the heart of the city. So uh, kudos to, to Joe. And then the hardest thing is you're going vertically. How do you connect it? How do you connect a piece like this? Yeah, I think I think that actually does really work nicely in a, in a way that I think is a challenge that I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily appreciate right on the first glance, because you're right, the vertical orientation of the machine is difficult. Like I said, it creates this tension where it feels like it feels unsteady. It feels like it's going to fall over. It feels like this is a machine that like the leg is going to kick out from under it. It's going to topple. But I, th- I think that also adds some energy to the piece. It, it does. It, it, it says that the city, you know, is ever changing, that there are it's it's not hopeless. Uh, it, it works, but it works in a kind of um, interconnected way to which we can't always it's not smooth, you know, and there's some wasted energy um, and there's some energy that we don't quite understand. But because it's interconnected it somehow works you know, just well enough. And it doesn't always work legally and it doesn't always work <laughs> <laughs> in, in a fair way. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm actually sh- shocked that there isn't any reference to daily, you know, because of the, you know, and yeah. I, I would wonder why he, he didn't have any specific reference to, um, you know, like Meg's field or anything fun like that too, because even I'm thinking the last, you know, 15 or 20 years or the bean, you know, the bean, was kind of the, um, if you were the ground, the, the, uh, the crown jewel, but it was way over budget. Uh, cloud gate, um, uh, designed right. by Anish Kapoor who absolutely hates when people call it the bean. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It, it does feel like it should have the bean. Um, it does feel like, uh, <laughs> 
I feel like there's a lost opportunity. There should be like a, a save Ferris billboard or something in there. Um, yes, but yes. like, but, but there is so much that is stacked into it that I feel like it does work. It does feel like a fun, more contemporary Rube Goldberg type machine that also serves as a collective sort of community portrait because a lot of his work is about communities. It is about, you know, he does his maps of different neighborhoods within the city and he loads it up with icons and symbols of those, those communities. And I feel like this is a nice, interesting synthesis of different elements of his background as an industrial designer and his passions for the, the city and the, the culture that he loves as represented through the music and through the food and through the sports and, and all of that. Yeah, that's right. And, and I, and I think too, if you connect with what he's passionate about and you connect with it, um, on a, on a certain level, you can expect more of it. Yeah. You know, he's not trying to appease the general masses with every one of the things we had just before mentioned, you know, millennial park or whatever, but, but rather, you know, these are the pieces that you can continue to find uh, in his work and different sections of town you can yeah. continue to find in his work. So kudos to Joe. Anything else you want to say about it? Or should we wrap it up? Uh, we could we could wrap it up for sure. And I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three point rating scale. And where should this hang? The Louvre? Is this something to look at? The lab? the lab? Is this something to learn from? Or the loop? British for the bastard. Yeah. There's a the loop joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, well, the lab, the lab, uh, for sure. And, and it, in, in my house, it, it would definitely be front and center. Uh, you would have to be uh, north of I-80, as everybody knows, north of I-80, and just south of the Wisconsin border. And it should be in the front entry of most houses connected to the suburbs. And, and or Chicago. Yeah, I feel like I feel like to me this this is a museum piece because I feel like it is it is nice to look at, but it also has that depth of meaning to it. And as I said, it it paints this picture of a community. There is like cultural identity and relevance all tied together in this cohesive way that is in some ways kind of playful and in some ways kind of serious. And I think, I think it works at, at treading that line between like both tones simultaneously. I think that it, it's a great piece. To me, this is one of the standout pieces in his collection. Like I said, he treads that fine line between something that is fun and playful and cartoony, but also is showing some insights into a culture and, and what ties the city together and what are the common aspects that everybody in that environment relates to, whether they, whether they love the deep dish pizza or not, we're all familiar with it. You know, even if you put ketchup on your hot dog, you are very much aware of what those around you are doing. Yeah. And, and again, as you know, as a composition, it works because if you look at the perspective, it's, you know, you're, you're constantly looking up and he, he wants you to take that trip vertically. Uh, and so he, he keeps most of the shapes 
with the, you're looking at the underneath of that shape just briefly, and then you're looking at the detail throughout. So I, I think it works really, really well. And, yeah. you know, again, he stays pretty consistent throughout that uh, piece. So yeah. kudos to Joe. Yeah, I think, I think it is, it's amazing how neatly and precisely it's executed and um, so deliberate and still maintains the fun, whimsical appeal. Yeah, huh. for sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time once again um, as we discussed Joe Mills. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted. If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.